0: Welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with those movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, editors, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, composers, authors. And today, we happen to have A singer, songwriter, and baseball player, plus a writer, director, editor. We're going to be talking with people responsible for two of my favorite, two of my many favorite things in life. One is Halloween and horror films, and Robert Mann, writer, director, editor, is going to take care of that at the midpoint of the show when he joins us live to talk about his latest film. R B N B, and let me tell you folks, when you see that film come October third, which is when it releases, you will rethink ever going to a B and B again. But first, very very excited because we have with us today, baseball player, professional baseball player, superstar, country singer songwriter Brian Ruby, and who just launched his latest single. Centerfield. We're in the countdown to the World Series, people. There's no better time to be talking to a baseball player and a song about baseball. And Brian is on hold now. So, welcome Brian.
1: Hello. How's it going?
0: It is going great. You are fulfilling part of my fantasy life. We're going to be talking <laughs> we're going to be talking music and baseball. And my All right. My God. You are the first good. you're the first professional baseball player I've had on the show in nine and a half years. So wow. okay. <laughs> first, hopefully not the last. Hopefully, hopefully not. Oh my God. And then your latest single, you'd all you've already established yourself in as a singer songwriter in the country world. Uh but now you have your new single that dropped uh, at the end of August. Uh, so it's been out for like three weeks now. Centerfield. Now, for those people that are of my age bracket, uh, I remember when John Fogarty's song, his version of Centerfield first came out back in 1975. I was still in high school. Uh, it was in his post-CCR days, and, you know, everybody loves CCR. Uh, but. Oh, yeah. I have to say, Brian, I love your version of Centerfield so much more than Fogerty's. Oh wow! Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you.
0: It is uh, fantastic.
1: Thank you. We we went in the studio. You know, it's like a it's like an all time classic baseball song yep. and a song that I've heard at the ballpark for like the last two decades.
2: You know, ever <laughs> since
1: I first picked up a ball as a as a little kid and And I just kind of wanted to take my own crack at it, pun intended. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we, we, but I wanted to kind of honor the song. And I also wanted to make it distinctly my version. You know, I didn't Mm -hmm. want to copy what he did. I wanted to up the tempo, make it a little faster, a couple extra guitars, make it more Brian Ruby versus John. Fogarty, but it was really cool. I got a message from John a couple of days ago that he heard it and he liked it so that that meant a lot and um you know I, i'm I'm glad that people are liking it
0: oh my god i I like it much better and I think it's because of not just the tempo, but the instrumentation and especially if this and if this gets played in ballparks and hopefully it'll be played during the World Series this year uh just saying yeah. just saying. Uh hopefully when oh, it gets yeah. played this is really a stadium kind of arrangement that you have so it will yeah, play stadium, really well
1: stadium baseball country that's what we do like um <laughs> You know, it's kind of a perfect combo for me. I actually have a song called Baseball Country. That's another one that's kind of upbeat and rocking. and both center field and baseball country are on my upcoming debut EP, which comes out on Friday, October twenty seventh, which is is called Diamonds Are Forever and and really it is a, a tribute to all my time playing ball and growing up in sport and and uh, persevering through challenges and coming out and a whole, it's a whole story and it's six songs and, and it's going to be going to be really cool to get out, get that out into the world.
0: Now, was it always, I have to ask because your dad was a baseball coach. Was it always predestined that you would play ball at some point? Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, I was definitely exposed to it a lot as a kid growing up, you know, he didn't force me into it. He, I always had the choice but but I that's how you know that's what all my friends were doing that was that was what I did and and that's what I grew to love and and still do and um but it was it was definitely cool kind of growing up at the ball field like growing up in the game.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean I still remember my grandfather took me when I was very very young to Connie Mack Stadium in Philadelphia to see the Phillies play. Uh, yeah. I, I oh my God I, <laughs> I go Slow way. Back. I go way back, Brian. You know, I still remember watching on television Jim Bunning pitching a perfect game, or you know Steve wow. Carlton and his twenty game wins. I mean, just. Um, I have always loved baseball, and coming from Philadelphia, you gotta kind of love sports. But baseball, I could actually kind of sort of play, so I understood oh, it. yeah. So uh, you know I've always just loved it and I think that's yeah. part of what attracted me to Fogarty's version of centerfield uh, plus uh-huh. it started getting played but now to hear your version decades later with your spin it just yeah it
1: for me it felt like um I, I kind of looked around online and I couldn't really see anybody you know it's kind of an iconic song at least in the baseball world. And I couldn't really see anybody who did like a really key cover version.
2: Mm -hmm. Like
1: I think about classic songs like free fall and Tom Petty. I think about the John Mayer version Mm
2: -hmm. is like
1: the, the go-to cover version or, or fast car, Tracy Chapman, the Luke Combs version is like the go-to version and nobody really did anything for center field. And the song came out, I think in 1985, like it, it's been a while and and I kind of wanted to do a little update and a lot of people who follow me are younger um younger baseball fans and, and younger people so maybe they've heard the song but but it's um you know it's sort of in a different style and and I kind of wanted to take a crack at it.
0: Well, take a crack at it you have done, Brian. And you knocked it out of the park. Yeah. For my money, you knocked it out of the park. Uh <laughs> You know, and you brought up something very, very important. You know, back in 2021, you gave us all a diversion from COVID uh, when you came out. And you were the -hmm. uh, the only active professional baseball player to come out as gay. And I I remember all the coverage. Everybody was covering this. So, number one, your timing was great. I think the world appreciated that because it did take us away from the, the dregs of COVID and here's something upbeat yeah. and great. Somebody's great story. Um, but you know, how has, how did that impact you in terms of your ball playing? Um, did the, did the minors, because I know in like 2021, there was a big shuffling in the structure where didn't major league baseball take over the minor leagues as well. And then, Salem Kaiser Volcanoes, who you were playing for, you got they got mm-hmm. bumped to a Maverick League.
1: hmm Correct. Yeah, it, it was it was really a roller coaster. I mean, yep. it was something. First off, I've I've known sort of, um, I've known that I was was gay for for years, and and I, I have been out in my personal life to my family and friends for for. for four years prior to coming out publicly, but I was always told that if I came out while playing baseball, that I would never be able to get a job again. And so, you know, I, you hear it in center field, like my passion for, for playing ball. And I didn't want to really mess with that. But finally I kind of got to the point where I was just tired of, of living two completely separate lives and just wanted to live my life the way that I wanted to live. And I, I, I looked around and sort of believed that hey, it's, it, we're in the 2020s, like you know, you should be able to love who you love and and follow your passion and and keep your job, which is really
2: yeah,
1: really what we're talking about. I I just wanted to keep my job on the team and so my teammates were really accepting um the organization that I was with was accepting. It was definitely a definitely a scary moment though waking up and seeing seeing different media outlets, like, um, reporting on, on me coming out. And honestly, I just kind of wanted to get over it as quick Mm -hmm. as possible. Just, just do it and, and get it over and and move on with my life. And so I could be out. And honestly, I also didn't really feel like it was like coming out like a big statement. I just kind of felt like I treated it more like inviting in, Mm
2: -hmm. like,
1: um, this is just one more thing about me, like, um, you know, and uh, now, now people know, you know, uh, this is my life, and I'm I'm living the way I want to live. And if if you got a problem with that, that's your problem. That's right. And I feel like people really respected that, and it's enabled me to kind of move on and and keep going forward with my life. And it's, you know, we we have a charity now called Proud to Be in Baseball, yes. which supports and. Encourages the next generation of LGBTQ athletes in baseball, so we set up something that can help them, the next the next crop of players. And you know, I'm I'm all for um, everybody you know coming out if if it, if they're in a safe, supportive environment and and just live your best life. And um, that's kind of what the purpose of our organization is. And it's it's going well.
0: That's fantastic. Now. What are you still playing ball anywhere?
1: Yeah, I am so this this summer I'm wrapping up. This is like my final season playing. Um and with our with with the end of the season coming up it's it's uh, definitely a little sentimental. I'm I'm definitely ready to move on to baseball or um from from baseball to, to country music and I've I've kinda had my hand in the country music pot for a while now, living in Nashville for about four years. And I, it's, it's uh, a huge passion of mine as well. We've been releasing songs for over a year and mm-hmm. kind of preparing for this. And I've had some more opportunities to stay in baseball, but I've, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm telling everybody that I, I'm, I'm passing up on it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for all of the, all of the years that I've been able to play. I'm a journeyman guy. I, maybe I'm not a major league star, but you know, I, I've certainly, you know, it's more about the journey versus the destination. It's been a, an incredible experience playing ball all these years and, and, um, especially recently when we've been able to do the stuff with coming out and, and, uh, inspiring younger athletes and forming a charity that helps people. It, it feels, feels like I'm, I'm leaving the sport on, on my terms and, and, um, I, I feel very grateful for everything.
0: Now, what position uh, positions have you played in your career? Third base. Third base. Yeah. Tricky, tricky, tricky. (laughs) Tricky, tricky. A Mike Schmidt position.
1: Yeah, Mike Schmidt. I mean, um, I I grew up. Mike Schmidt was a little bit before my time, but (laughs) um, I grew up going to games at Veterans Stadium, Citizens Bank Park with my dad. So um, that that was. You know, he's an iconic Philly for sure.
0: Yep, one of many, but yeah. Oh yeah. No, I know. I couldn't tell you who's playing currently. I will keep up with stats, but no. Back in the heyday, I mean, I would be glued, and I loved going to the to vet to the vet. Um, even though Citizens Park yeah. is really nice, the, <laughs> the replacement yeah. is really nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they were. It was in need of. Of replacement, let's just say Veterans yeah. was kind of getting getting old with the AstroTurf there, but they the, the new the new stadium. I mean, I think they, it's been around almost two decades now. I think it was like 2004, the inaugural season, and I remember going in with my dad, and when the Phillies made a run to win the World Series in 2008, we yep. were there, and it was it was just an awesome, awesome experience, awesome childhood experience that I will I will never forget, and. I mean, I'll I'll always be a huge baseball fan, and mm-hmm. and will stay involved in the game a lot. I I'm doing something right now um, called the the Baseball Country Tour, where I'm going around to different ballparks around the country, singing the national anthem and singing God Bless America, and we'll try to raise some some money for our charity while we while we do that. And if, if anybody interested is is uh interested in learning more or donating visit us at proudtobeinbaseball.org and it all it's, it's a great little thing we've set up and it all goes towards a great cause.
0: You know, now any any whispers or anything that you might get to actually sing the national anthem at one of the playoff or world series games this year?
1: I <laughs> well I would love to. <laughs> Nothing set up so far. Uh, I will I will get back to you if, if we do set something up. I I, uh, I would love that. I mean, that would be quite a way to cap things off. And um, I'm available. I'm just putting it out into the <laughs> into the universe. I'm available. And go on my website to, to book to book me. All the contact info there. You know, if uh, that would be quite a quite I a mean, fun thing to do. It's
0: a. It seems like a natural for me, for you, for them to have you do that um yeah you know keep it all in the baseball family so yeah, totally now i'm really curious because as an athlete you do get you'll get a rush you know there's something exhilarating about an athlete and the camaraderie of a team that and now you move into music do you get that mm-hmm. same kind of euphoria and excitement with music and working with a, putting together a band, be it in the studio or out for a live performance, is there something, I do. a commonality there?
1: I do, yes. there. There's definitely, in sports, like when you get the big hit or when you're up to the plate and there's a lot of people there and it's, 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 it's uh, exciting and your adrenaline's pumping. It's, it's definitely like a euphoric experience, and it's the same thing, and I've only... I've, I've only really, um, you know, played in front of small crowds in music. I think the, the most people that I've ever played a, my original music in front of is a, a couple hundred. Like, I've, I've sang the national anthem in front of tens of thousands sure. of people at, at these big big sporting events. But in, for my music, I mean, it is really cool to see people and, and to go out and to be hitting the road. And I'm taking tons of gigs and just kind of getting out there we we've played the west coast a couple times already we we've played the midwest we're we're headed down to the um to kentucky and and uh florida later this fall and um up to new york boston portland maine for a christmas tour i mean we're like getting out there and wow it's a rush to to be on stage and to hear the crowd and some people are starting to know my songs. Um, you know, if they, if they don't know my songs personally, sometimes they know songs that I've written for other people. I've written mm-hmm. like 22 songs that have got recorded by different country singers so far. So sometimes they know the song, maybe they don't know me, the writer, but, um, and then sometimes they do know, do, do know my originals and it's, it's really cool to, to experience that. And I mean, I, am not the type to like sit still. I'm very, very hyperactive. So definitely, you know, hitting the road like we did in baseball and and going all these places um, is, is ingrained in me. And and it's sort of the same kind of life lifestyle as a musician playing different shows and, and traveling around and, and, um, and really doing it.
0: But I think you get to do a lot more traveling and seeing other parts of the country than you did playing for the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that league was was uh, Pacific Northwest very specific, limited. But yeah, I mean, I have I in baseball. I've, I've played five years in pro ball and have gotten to go play games overseas um, in Latin America. Played wow. winter ball down there and go guatemala city for a season and south america down in chile and traveled the eastern seaboard and in the west coast and through the middle of the country i mean it it is kind of like a vagabond life on the road with your with your baseball team but it's kind of the same thing with with music it's we we got our little team It's, it's not quite the 40 man roster like um in pro baseball but it's You know, unless you're Taylor Swift and you have a massive touring operation going coast to coast. But for for us, it's it's just a couple people and um, getting the band together and getting out and rocking it.
0: Now, because you've already said, even though you're going to step down after this season as a player, but you're still going to be involved in baseball, what is it about baseball that you were drawn to? What what is it that wow. makes you love baseball?
1: Yeah, um I don't know. It's just it for me like I even in little league I was never the most talented player. People kind of assume that oh, professional baseball player must must have been the best the whole time in, in little league and playing American Legion ball and high school and stuff. And for me it was I really wasn't. It was the the challenge of of practicing and, and I'm putting so many thousands of hours into it. And, and it was, it what I have loved about it the most is just like the, it's very rewarding to, to finally feel like you're doing something at a high level after you've worked and worked and worked and struggled. And it's the, the, the part about it for me, that's exciting. is like the overcoming the struggle and, and and also the feeling of, of getting a good hit, you know, there's really nothing mm-hmm. like it. Um hitting a home run or or sliding home and, and scoring an important run. It's like a big big adrenaline rush. So that that's the, the fun part. And also the I was talking to I, I always talk to my baseball friends every day and I was talking to the guys yesterday and we were it's it's the camaraderie too. You know, going through um trying times and being on the road and and uh, overcoming adversity with a a group of people it really is a is an important bond with your teammates and for me especially as uh, one of the things that i was worried about as a as a gay guy like you know when i came out was would they accept me and it was really cool that they did and they still do and they're they're really really just it's if there's anything that i could be i want to be an example of somebody who just shows that it's possible to live your life and, and be a good person and, and keep your job and, and help the team and be a good teammate.
0: So now having said that about baseball, apply the, apply the same question to music. What is yeah. the appeal of music? What is it that makes you love music and particularly country, country music? Which I personally yeah. think is a great fit with baseball, all-American, you know.
1: Yeah.: Well, I think the baseball country music thing is, to answer that part of it, I mean, if you go to a ball game like and you listen and it, a lot of it is country music, so that is mm. kind of the music that I grew up with. So being on the ball field. so it is it's a really natural fit. Um, but the part about the music that I like, honestly, the most is, is I really like the process of like putting the song together, I get really in the weeds with <laughs> with the process of, of the songwriting and the production and I I co produce all my songs. Um like I, I do have a producer but but he lets me kind of co produce and, and help direct traffic and that that's really fun for me to to see it all come together and to and to write all of it. I know we're talking about center field today but but most of my other songs are originals. If if you go on any streaming service or, or YouTube or whatever, most of the songs that you'll see are, are my originals. And I, I love, I love that process of writing it and putting it together. And half the time we, we try to write a song and it's not, it's not very good, but you kind of have to, it's just like baseball. You kind of have to step up to the plate and sometimes you're not going to get a hit. And sometimes you're going to write a song and then, throw out your notebook the next day because it's not very good (laughs) but um but you know occasionally occasionally you get something good and and those are the times that that count where
0: where do you get the inspiration from what inspires you for each of the songs that you write is there you know some people they've got a particular you know muse kind of situation uh, others it's like they just are drawn to you know some one thing in particular. what inspires the you for the songs that you write
1: yeah for me it's it's a combination of things it's I'm always looking honestly like in in my life I'm always looking for different things the the people that I know you know the my friends my family relationships like it's all all um material that that can go into song and and i'm always open to new ideas and i'm always trying out new stuff and and um so really it's just like my life and i want to sing songs that are real for me and centerfield even though i didn't write it is very real for me and and the rest of our ep that i'm releasing in october is, is very real and and you know it's cool to to have songs that feel really personal i don't think i would enjoy it if i if i was singing songs that really didn't mean anything you know I, all these songs come from a really a, a place of, of deep meaning
0: now are you going to be doing music videos for each of these songs or is it going to be audio only at this point what what are your plans here because i'm sure everybody yeah, everybody put, wants to see you performing
1: yeah we're, we're, so we have put together a few so we I, uh, one of the songs on the EP called the standouts, which was a duet that I did with Ty Herndon country star from the nineties, mm-hmm. still doing great stuff. And has a, he, he actually has a foundation called the foundation for love and acceptance in Nashville. Um, he, he, uh, he wanted to do a music video for it. And, and we, we did a really cool video that we shot in Kentucky on a on a farm for that one so that one's available to watch on YouTube on my YouTube page we just did a really cool lyric video for Center field um, that combines a lot of vintage baseball footage
0: oh. like of
1: Jackie Robinson and babe Ruth with interspersed with some old baseball footage of me that we color corrected to put in black and white to kind of make it look like a little bit vintage mm-hmm. which was really fun and um, we just released it I, I looked I looked this morning on the YouTube page and I was like really surprised that that video has already had like 8,000 views and we just released it. So that was, that was pretty cool. We did another video for um, one of the other songs, Baseball Country. So they're up there. I mean, videos are harder. They're bigger production yep. and I'm still, I don't have a record label. I'm still an independent artist. So it's all on a very small budget, but I, I suspect, you know, as we grow and there'll be bigger, Bigger budget music videos, which will be fun to do,
0: but even the the little low budget, no budget, micro budget ones, it shows your creativity. Like you just mentioned, Mm. you know, taking vintage footage of you, and then it was you know, you know, denature it so that it it you turn it black and white and grayscale to or sepia to have it match with older things. You know that brings yeah. out creativity. That's not that expensive to do. But I think right. <laughs> when I have found that the less money you have, the more creative it forces you to get at times.
1: Yeah. I agree. I I think that we are scrappy. I will tell you that. We are very scrappy. You're a ball the, player, the you got to be scrappy. Do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm and again, like I I when I was Really hardcore playing ball. I was not the major league star making millions of dollars. I was the, the journeyman, fringe, low level pro player, utility third baseman, utility infielder, like sleeping on a mattress on the floor in Guatemala city during winter ball and just trying to make up enough money to, to come back home, not having lost money and keep a job in baseball. <laughs> So I, I totally get like that scrappy thing and and it, it a lot of starting out as a musician is exactly that. Mm-hmm. It's it's hitting the road, it's it's taking flights on Frontier and Spirit and uh, Southwest is like a is a real treat when I can get on Southwest, <laughs> you know, and get to pick my seat and but that's the lifestyle and you gotta embrace it.
0: Yep. Yep. I mean to yeah. listen to you if if to equate this for people, all they need to do is watch Major League with Tom Berenger, and see what <laughs> the horrid team owner does to the team, with going to the crappy mm-hmm. airline, to the broken down bus. That's kind. That's what being scrappy is when <laughs> there's no money. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, So now I love those movies. Yes, I know. Perfect. Uh, you know that Perfect. and Bull and Bull Durham. You know, that's another Durham, one yeah. about being scrappy.
2: Yep,
1: Bull Durham, and I mean that's one of my favorite movies too. Like it's and and right now, like I am singing about a lot of like this baseball related stuff. But again, it's really true in my life right now, and and we're already planning. Like we had a meeting a couple days ago, planning out my next. Stuff for for 2024 and and i have some love songs that i want to sing, wow. and, and all kinds of all kinds of stuff that we've written that we're going to go into the studio and record and so this is really like the beginning the first chapter is starting from the baseball world and and switching over to music and I, I can't wait to see where it goes
0: well now before i let you go i could talk to you all day but you know, I another guest is coming on right after you, and he's on hold. But before I let you go, Brian, tell everyone again where they can hear your music. your're on your mm-hmm. website or give us the the who, what, where of where they can hear your music, and that release date again for your e p
1: okay, yeah, uh, the the release date for the e p is Thursday is sorry friday october twenty seventh so it's coming up. But there already are several songs out from the EP that you can find on anywhere you stream music: uh, okay. Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, um, SoundCloud, Deezer, YouTube, uh, or you can just honestly, you could probably just Google it and it'll pop up. Um, and you, I'm Brian with the Y, Brian Ruby, Brian Ruby with uh, with uh, BrianRubyMusic.com as well. So. Um, You can find everything there, and, and, you know, if you check it out and you like the music, send me a message. I I watch all my social media sites, so, um, you know, follow along, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok. We've got all the things, and, and I love seeing, I love hearing what people think of the songs and seeing people at shows.
0: Well, all it took was for me to hear your song. I love your voice. I love your take, your musical take. I love how your arrangement of Centerfield. I listened to another song, too, and I can't remember which one it is. But you have made a fan for life out of me, Brian. i got to tell you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm a music fan of yours for life now, and I cannot wait to hear what's coming down the pike for you. And I hope you'll come back on the show again.
1: Totally. Anytime. Uh, Just let me know. Thank you so much.
0: I will do that. And just so you know, I know you asked Pam when you called in. Yes, you will get a link for today's show. It will actually be out up on my website, BehindTheLensOnline.net, later tonight. I will send the publicist a link, and I have it on all the socials, and I'll tag you on all of them.
1: Awesome. All right. You're making it easy. Perfect. Uh, Of course. (laughs) Of
0: course. Well, thank you so much, Brian. And you have a great rest of your week.
1: All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. And that was Brian Ruby. Check him out. I mean, his music is great. As I said, the current single he has out is Centerfield. It's a remake of the John Fogerty classic. It's wonderful. I mean, his voice is fantastic. Uh, And I do love his musical acumen. Now, we're going to switch gears here and go to one of my other favorite things. And a big welcome to Robert Mann. Hello, Robert.
3: Hello. How are you? How are you doing?
0: I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, I have to say, after seeing and I am never going to a B and B.
3: Perfect. We did exactly what we wanted it to happen.
0: That uh, trust me. I'm watching this, and your casting is so wonderful. And the performances that are elicited, plus the way you have structured this this film with your nonlinear editing jump cut edits i I'm never setting foot in an, in an airbnb never ever ever
2: <laughs> well, you know
3: uh, wait till you, wait till the second one comes out
0: ooh, do we have a sequel?
3: Well, everyone. Keeps wanting me to do it. All the cast people, are, you should do an Airbnb too, Robert. You should do an Airbnb too.
0: Well, there's a problem with doing the Airbnb too. For the for the current cast to say do it, do it, do it, I think you might have a little bit of a problem there. Without giving anything away.
2: Well,
3: yeah, I know.
0: Um. <laughs> but
3: but it's also up to up to the viewer at the end,
0: right? Yes. Yes. You, you sound perfectly, and we hear these all these gunshots, but we don't know.
3: We don't know. It's so funny because I talked to Brianna, and she says, You know, Robert, only me and Mia know exactly what happened.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. That's right.
3: Yeah. That's, so she may have a point.
0: She has a point. Of
3: course,
0: yeah. you know... So it and we could have, you know, we had two people go wandering off.
3: Yes, we did. You know, two yeah.
0: rather unsavory skeevy characters.
3: That is true. You know, what's ironic is um the film is going to be at the Orlando Film Festival um next month and it's the I think 22nd through the the 2nd and uh I'm staying at an Airbnb. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, what one of the key elements of your tale in B&B is we have this this couple um celebrating their 1-year anniversary, they go to the secluded Airbnb um and after a while they realize that they've been filmed. I mean, this is not a big spoiler. Um you know, right. Somebody is actually has planted little GoPros everywhere. And they're being filmed. So now having written that, with this in your mind, as you check into your Airbnb, will you be checking the room for any GoPros, hidden cameras, microphones?
3: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, where where did the idea for R B and B? arise what was the germinating seed of this did you have a bad be airbnb experience before
3: no i could be very artsy and fartsy and say you know oh it came up from this wonderful idea of an experience or somebody had told me about it but the fact of the matter is that um it was it was a monetary decision and a, a decision based on um, um, what what assets I had.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so uh, we had stayed at this exact Airbnb, my DP and I and my producer, um, about four years earlier because we were shooting a film called 1031, which we never actually got the, the financing for. And the person who owned the Airbnb, Anita, she said, well, listen, if you ever want to come back here and shoot – around this area or whatever you're certainly welcome if you want to use my house you're certainly welcome and i said okay thank you very much (laughs) and um... few years went by and i was getting very itchy to get behind the camera again i said well what can i produce that wouldn't cost a whole lot of money uh... that we could do but would be kind of fun and interesting and i started thinking about it i said oh wait a minute Anita you know we had all this footage was very good and Anita said i could shoot there and then I think somewhere I had read about Airbnbs or something, and I just started thinking, well, what would happen if a couple went there to a secluded one, because that area is very secluded, mm-hmm. and some nefarious stuff started happening. And I always liked the Stepford Wise and Get Out, because the community was always so nice and wonderful and overly nice and sweet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, well, that could be kind of fun, having some people there that owned it, that were just a little too nice, a little too inviting. And they had nefarious, you know, intentions. And that's how it um, came to fruition, actually.
0: Wow. Well, this is where your casting is really so key. Um, You cast Alex Gallic and Savannah Witten as Kylo and Aubrey, our overly effusive, overly nice Airbnb owners. Uh, And the minute... They're on screen. You know, uh, Alex plays Kylo a little more laid back, trying to put on a professional air. But Savannah just infuses Aubrey with, is she nuts? Um, It's like she never stopped (laughs) smiling. It was, you know, like a man, uh, you know, like a demented mannequin almost. Oh, I know. And and She... she just really dove into that role.
3: Yeah, yeah, they both did. Um, I have to give a lot of kudos to my casting director, Susie McGray. Also, we've worked together um, since I did the Pumpkin Carver, and she's always been my right hand man. And she's so uh, astute, and she has great instincts. And you know, she we cast Minka Kelly in the Pumpkin Carver before mm. Minka Kelly was
0: it was Minka Minky Kelly, Kelly.
3: <laughs> and. Um, and she, after and Kelly did the audition, Susie came rushing out of the room because she was watching it on a monitor. And she, and she goes, oh, my God, who is that girl? Who is that girl? She's wonderful. She's wonderful. And she tells us, she she's going to be a big star. She's going to be a big star. And my producers hated her. They did not want me to cast her.
2: Wow. Kelly.
3: Yeah. And so wow. we just went, sorry, too bad. We love her. We're going to cast her.
0: Oh, my God. But
3: she's very good. She has great instincts. And, um, you know, you know how the process is. So the, mm-hmm. uh, the casting director will view a bunch of tape and a bunch of headshots, and then they narrow it down a little bit. And then I come into the picture, and, and then Susie and I discuss it, uh, of each person. But before that, you know, we go through each character, Susie and I, and, and what we're looking for and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the characterization of that character and looks, et cetera, et
0: cetera. Well, you also, you know, also an amazing job. Number one, you got Brianna McQueenie and Ryan Thomas as our anniversary couple, Mia and Ryan. You know, the one thing that really d- didn't really work that that much for me and that could, could have been thrown away were the comments made about their difference in ages, uh, because mm-hmm. that's just, it, nobody really cares about age difference anymore, unless it's blatant. These two looked you know he looked like like a gentleman who might have just gone prematurely gray D- mm-hmm. didn't look old at all and they it was a perfect coupling of the two of them
3: yeah I thought that the, the only reason for the age was from Jennifer's point of view right sister right that was that was it otherwise there's no big, because it gives it gives the audience a, a suspicion of yeah well why would somebody marry somebody? that much older than than him you know yeah. so it gives us a little nugget of, of doubt
0: but what you also do and this is kudos to Gloria Mann who plays Ryan's sister of Jennifer um, you really throw us for a loop and you create a lot of ambiguity in there because she's so over possessive and just you know she's it's like she's trying to make every decision in her brother's life. And Mm -hmm. micromanage him. And it kind of makes you wonder exactly what kind of relationship do they have.
2: Right. Um,
0: So you throw that in there. So we've got all these little things bubbling. And then we have our two very nefarious people aiding our nefarious owners. Correct. Uh, The the, weirdos. uh, Weird is an understatement. Um, You've got Marco Reese Maldonado who plays... You know, dreadlocks down to his butt, um, earrings hanging out of his ear down past his shoulder. Then you've got Agnes Artage at playing Polina, who is just, you know, there are no words for her.
3: Yeah, you know, she's actually um, Russian and Polish. Wow. Which, yeah, so when we cast her, she came in. She had a wonderful accent. I loved her accent. And... um it just, she was just really, really good. she was a hard one to beat, and when Savannah came in or she savannah sent in her um her reel uh Susie and I were going, Savannah's gonna be a hard one to to beat also um
0: yeah, I can't see anybody else playing uh the role of Aubrey, and similarly, you know as Paulina from the very beginning she right. doesn't she doesn't crack a smile. She's very terse. She's very, stare down. Her stare down is great. So you've.
3: Oh, I know it. uh, She's really, she's got that cold. Whoa.
0: um, Russian, That old Soviet. Veneer. Yes. The old Soviet veneer. Um, Right. Just so well cast. And the performances that you get from each of these people are just wonderful. And the whole time, it's like, I got to wonder. It's like, okay, is Mia seeing any of this? Is she not com? Is are Mia and Ryan not comprehending a lot of? There's something unnatural about these people that they're being so nice to.
3: Right. Uh, <laughs> well, I I think they're the especially Mia. I think Mia is just so, in a way, good natured. Yeah. And and but but that's the outside that you see, and and maybe we don't know. Is that a?
0: Is that a Is that a little
3: bit of a game, not a game?
0: Well, as we find out, she's playing her own kind of game with information that we learn in the third act. Right. uh, That has not been disclosed earlier. Right. Now, because this is such a contained set, the location is stunning. Um, Talk to me about working with your cinematographer, Al Satterwhite. Did you guys shot list? Did you storyboard? You do have some woodsy stuff happening. But you really take advantage of the the house, the Airbnb itself, with the rooms and, I mean, the whiteness, the white, the brightness, the light, the nice sheer curtains. Um, talk to me about how you develop the, the visual grammar uh, to aid in this storytelling.
3: Well... Uh, I have an idea of what I want to do, and then I usually bring it to Al, and then Al has his input, and we kind of then work the rest of it together. Um, I ask him certain things that I can do, what I can't do within the context of our budget, and then what we can do creatively uh, with our time schedule and our shooting schedule. So that's all the technical aspect of it. The the artistic part is I told Al, I said, I want the film to go from – brighter and nicer and get grayer and darker as it and in this case bluer as Mm -hmm. it went went along and the the weather had to cooperate also because we have overcast days for some of that Um, and we had no room for error in terms of when the sun came out and when it rained because so much of it was exterior as you as you saw Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the the interiors we were at the mercy of a lot of what was there. And I thought that that worked except for the baby room, the baby room. um, Kira Olander, who did the costume design also kind of created that, that environment with, um, with Daria, who uh, was our production coordinator and part of our art director and Blake. And so uh, that was a room in the actual Airbnb, the big house Mm -hmm. that, Anita and her husband, Nat, were living in it. And she said, look, if you want a baby room, check this room out. And it was perfect. And so all the baby books, all that paraphernalia was there. And we just wow. kind of uh, you know, put it where we wanted There was an actual crib there also, which we had to pull out. Actually, we just moved it from each side of the room to each side because it was so big and heavy we couldn't do that. So we'd shoot in one direction and the crib would be behind us because we had to put in the the, the breakaway crib. Mm-hmm. So um, what happens is, so Alan and I get all that, uh, the overall concept together, and then I, I'll do a shot list, and I'll also do schematics, camera schematics. I, I really don't do storyboards. I do more or less camera placements, and mm-hmm. then I... <laughs> draw little stick figures, <laughs> and um, I show everybody that's involved, the grips and the electricians and, and Al, okay, here's where I want the camera, and as you can see, we're going to do a dolly shot here, and I draw my little arrows like you would on storyboards. I'm just not as elaborate with a storyboard because I don't have the money to pay a storyboard artist, and I'm not that good at drawing those. But,
0: so you, but you can do stick figures. So I do basically schematics. Yes.
2: Shot
0: so, but you can yes, you can do stick figures in schematics though. And that's all that counts. Is that your all vi- that counts. is that you can convey your vision to your team. No matter right. how, if you were, you know, if you hand signals, if that works, you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's whatever works for you. And what I I'm really impressed with a lot of the exteriors that you have. Um were you shoot and obviously some of that you know you've got dollies happening were you do, doing a lot of handheld or over, or shoulder rigging on this
3: a lot of the handheld was um towards the second half of the film mm-hmm. once once the shit hits the fan so to speak um i wanted a lot of it handheld to have that vibe to it yes um but before then again it's a, it was a progression I wanted the film to open up really nice if you you know the the opening shot with the drone shots coming ah. across the bridge and all beautiful and all that um, was a prelude of of uh of getting the audience to just feel nice and warm and relaxed mm-hmm. and and then it starts turning you know into a darker film mm-hmm.
0: and of course, when Mia and Ryan walk into their the cottage their room at the airbnb i mean that kitchen it's white on white on white it's beautiful it's open it's airy it's clean pristine and as you know as you said you want things to get darker and then we start seeing using that as our baseline you we really get to see visually tonally that uh, progression into the descent into darkness, shall we say?
3: Right, exactly. And it just kind of um, climaxes obviously at the end, but also uh, when, when, um, when Kylo and when Ryan are in that computer room Mm -hmm. and when they get into the house, you know, the house is darker too. Yes,
0: much darker
3: uh, and shadowy and, you
0: know and you really make the most of it the camera the camera position the blocking you really make the most of the angles within that house that staircase
2: and the right. and the
0: banister the hallway banister um, on the second floor you really utilize that so well
3: yeah we I love that talk to al about the whole film should especially on on establishing shots should have a, a voyeuristic views yeah so in the banister we're shooting through the banister like somebody was sitting down looking through those those uh, those pillars um, even when Jennifer is boxing mm-hmm. we framed it a wide shot to start out with between trees so yeah. again you get this idea of somebody watching this person mm-hmm. boxing and working out um, there's high shots where you know people are looking through windows down below mm-hmm. um, at people at the car or whatever, but yeah, we try to start a lot of shots wide and voyeuristic and then move in.
0: And it, it definitely works. It really works. Um, now, how difficult? I mean, the location, as I said, is beautiful, especially when we get to that stream, the hiking oh, trails. Oh, my God. Now, how difficult was it logistically to drag even a, a smaller crew through the woods to that location?
3: Well, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been too difficult had it remained normal.
0: Uh-oh. It
3: was, a, it was a brook. But three days before we were shooting, we had about two days of torrential downpours, which made the, the, the brook rise about four feet.
0: Oh, my God.
3: So then the bank that you could walk to, and it was probably about, a, a, you know, I don't know, maybe a, a quarter of a mile to where we needed to do the location from where the road was, but it was all down terrain. But but that bank of the river now was way up on the edge, and you had to walk on a, on a you know, 45-degree downslope where your feet were basically one foot was in the water, one foot was not. Oh my so we God. had to have waiters. Our producer went and bought waiters at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. There's a plug for you, Dick. <laughs> uh-huh. And we bought waiters uh, to put up on there. And my my key grip actually created a uh, a rope along the back part of the bank of the river, uh, and attached the tree so you could actually use it as almost like a handrail as you as you were walking along the. The, the, the edge of the river or the, the the brook or whatever you want to call it oh
0: my god well, yeah but with all
3: the equipment they had to carry hammers and things like that um, Brianna actually fell into a big hole in the water she didn't realize it there was a big sinkhole and she hurt her leg I fell into a hole also um, and immediately you know you're you're really walking at about at towards the edge maybe about two or three feet of water, and then you sink to about four feet of water
0: Oh, wow. oh when you hit God. that hole, yeah. Wow. So now, you know, we do see Mia getting injured as she's walking in the brook-slash-expanded right. river. Um, was that originally written in the script, or did you incorporate her actual stumble uh, at that point?
3: No, that was actually written in, and then she actually... Well, after we got done shooting, or we we're wrapping up, and we we're trying to grab the equipment and leaving, and that's when she fell into it, and that's when I fell into it oh too. Oh my
0: god! Oh my god! You know, Mother Nature really needs to be more cooperative when it comes to shooting schedules. You
3: know, I I I put a call into God, and you know,
0: this is what you d- couldn't get through. You did get some gray skies though. I did which are very necessary for this film and really work to your advantage. Um but yeah, you know you know the creek, when the creek rises, not a good thing. No. Not a good thing,
3: but it made the but it made the waterfall
0: gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's and I hate you know rather than an action shot or people engaging and interacting, that's your money shot of the film. Like, oh,
3: I know it. <laughs> yeah, when I wrote the film, I thought, God, I want a nice romantic kind of thing for for the two of them. And I said, I'm going to put in a waterfall here because I I did some research. I knew there were some waterfalls somewhere in New York Mm -hmm. area. And I said, I'm going to go find a a waterfall. And it turned out that it was literally maybe a, a mile and a half, two miles from our base location.
0: Wow. Yeah. Now, that was then, fortuitous. The movie gods, the cinema gods, smiled down on you with that one. They did. Oh, God. Now, what, what were your thoughts concerning, you know, working with Bart Hendrickson and the music that you have? Music never overpowers, but it's very key for us, especially with your editing, with the nonlinear editing. And when you do those jump cuts, which I love because it really gives the sense of choppy surveillance.
3: Right. Well, Bart and I have worked on a few films together also, and the way Bart and I work is, um, you know, he's worked with Hans Zimmer also. Yes. He worked with him for many years and helped compose a lot of stuff, big film stuff. But Bart and I have a great relationship, and the way we work is, um, like all my artists that I work with, I kind of give an overall view and kind of my idea of what I'm looking at and feeling. And then I like to hear what their interpretation. And then I let them go. Mm-hmm. And I say, go do your thing and then come back and then we'll take a, a listen or a peek or whatever it is, I'm, uh, whoever I'm working with. But I like to give them a lot of freedom, the artists, because then they come back and they surprise you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you get some things that you may not have thought of. And usually they're, they're better. And so that's how, how Bart and I usually work. And he always comes through great. And, um, and then we tweak it a little bit as we go along. You know, I, I'll, I'll say I want it built up a little bit bigger here. I love what you're doing, but build this up a little bit more and then continue it through the transition of the scene and then fade out. Or whatever it is that, that I'll give him, but um, yeah, it's it's great. He's he's really wonderful and um, always comes through with the right tone.
0: Well, now, big because you also edited this. Were you editing as you went? Did you wait till you had all the footage put to, assembled and then started editing? What was that process like for you?
3: Well, the editing. Um, Because we were on that location, I had to shoot everything. I couldn't edit while I was working because I only had maybe three hours sleep a night to begin with. Um, We had to wear a lot of different hats, especially me. So after the end of filming, I was the one who was the techie, so I had to download all the footage onto my computer and make duplicates. So that took hours to do that Uh. after we all shot everything. Um, So there was no room to even edited. I could view the footage to make sure that we had stuff, but that's all. Mm -hmm. And then download it. So when I was editing, um, you know, the movie was actually, and I started the first drafts, the first edits, um, it was all linear. Mm -hmm. And because, and this is a big mistake that I made. I wrote the film as a slow burn, and I'll never do that again. And when I got through with all my cuts, and I did a screening for everybody—not everybody, but for about ten people. Um, it was—it was just unacceptable. It was way too slow on the first act, and I just—I—I I couldn't stand it. Now the jump cuts were all in there because I—I mm-hmm. I, I wanted that style of jump cutting, and that helped in two ways. It created a style, and it
2: also—it—it—it
3: yeah. it, um, it moved the pace along, and it gave it a weird, edgy feeling. And um, I had a few little. Um, uh, flash-forwards on just a few of those little scenes. But it still wasn't enough to make the movie move the way I wanted it to move. And um, so I the last edit, I was going, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And um, just out of sheer luck, I said, well, maybe this parallel plot of, of Savannah's storyline. Mm-hmm. I could take that and maybe, you know, intertwine it with the main plot. And once I did that, I went, okay, that's it. That's perfect. So it was just really lucky that that happened that way. And it worked really well. It was one of those pleasant accidents that happened. And the gods were, like you said, shining down on me at that time.
0: I mean, I think that is brilliant because it also, I'm seeing some of this popping up and I'm like, what? What? Right. The first time it happened, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Did I get a rough cut screening link? Uh, Was this a mistake? (laughs) But uh, then I'm watching, and it's like, oh, my God. And you had this definite style and purpose and intent there with this. And it really added to the unhinged nature of these people that we're dealing with.
3: Yeah, you know what's interesting with that um, when it's cut that way, and it's very difficult, or I should say, um, it's very uh, tricky not to give away too much. So you have to sit there and say, well, how much can I give away?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, what I liked about it was from an audience perspective, usually on these films, it's a mystery or it's a thriller all the way to the end, and then you get the pieces of the puzzle. Well, here I'm giving you the pieces of the puzzle, some of it, at the beginning. Yes. But now the audience watches the film and when Kylo and Aubrey say certain things, the audience knows that they're lying. They're going, yes. no, that's bullshit. They want the, And now the audience gets emotionally involved and now they're coming from a different perspective of how they're um, relating to the film. Mm-hmm. And they can say, no run this is not going to be good this guy (laughs) and we know that this is going to happen down the road you know
0: yeah i just i just love that construct i really love it robert um it's intriguing Well, i would love to
3: take complete full credit and say i planned it from the very beginning when i wrote the script (laughs) but i didn't but it it came out of necessity
0: but you were smart enough to keep it and to go with it when you saw that it was working so you can't right, that, so that, see you can take full credit you can well,
3: I, pre- I appreciate that you're very generous <laughs> and I, I appreciate
0: that <laughs> oh my god robert this has been so wonderful getting to talk to you about rbnb uh, unfortunately we are like out of time um now rbnb it, op- it releases on october 3rd on vod all the usual suspect digital platforms Direct TV and dish so everybody can see this, you know, kick off October and Halloween month right with right. it just don't go stay in an, Air, in an Airbnb. Uh. <laughs> or stay at one at your own risk. Yes. and you may or may not want to watch this film if you're staying in one.
3: That's right, but but watch the film before you stay in one because you never know what's going to happen at the end of that.
0: That's for darn sure. I mean, just so well done. I really like this film, Robert.
3: Thank you very Um, much. I just want to say kudos to all my my cast and and, and crew and and everybody that helped. And, uh, um, you know, my sister was great in that role. And she also did the catering, by the way.
0: Oh, really?
3: Yeah. Well,
0: well, well. She had
3: double duty.
0: Did she get double paycheck?
3: Yes, she did. Okay.
0: Just checking.
3: Yeah. Wasn't much, but she got it.
0: I mean, if I put my brother to work in something I was doing, or if he put me to work in something, if he put me to work in something, I'd get nothing. Um.
3: <laughs> right. The, the tricky part was when she was cooking breakfast, and then she had to go shoot a scene later in the afternoon.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh.
3: Yeah. Oh. That was just, yeah, that was tough. Oh. So I kept trying to say, no, no cooking that day, no cooking that day. And she goes, well, who else is going to be the uh, crew and the cast? I have to do it.
0: (sighs) See, dedicated. She's dedicated to you.
3: Yes, that is
0: true. So, oh, Robert, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I hope we get to chat again in the future. I'm a
3: phone call away.
0: Good to know. I'll take you up on it. But seriously, consider a sequel to this
3: yeah um, anytime thank you so much i really appreciate your time and and uh, i'm glad that you enjoyed the film so much and um you know the objective is that hopefully people that watch it are lost for 81 thrilling minutes and they forget about life for a while and just get thrilled
0: they will be come october 3rd they will be robert and have well, fun you. and have fun at the film festival in florida
3: thank you Thank you. I will. It should be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, Robert. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Robert Mann, writer, director, editor of RBNB. October 3rd, it comes out. All the Usual Suspects, Digital, VOD, Dish, TV, And, of course, thanks to Brian Ruby. Very thrilled to have Brian on the show. Google him. Listen to his music. It really is fantastic. Um, and especially his new single, Center Field. But I'm looking forward to that EP now at the end of October. So that is all the time we have it again. And of course, we ran over again. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. <laughs>